Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks, Father, that in this country we have free access to Bibles and we can read that freely without fear of persecution. But, Father, sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we, we just leave it sit beside our bed or on that shelf. Father, help us, Father, to delve into your word and, and to seek your truth. This morning, Father, as we hear your word read and, and preached, Father, help, soften our hearts, open our eyes to what you have for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 23. <clears throat> Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses... Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seeds among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. As, correction, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win everyone, as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, 
though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Uh, a really wonderful and powerful passage we're looking at this morning. Before we get in there, um, I just wanted to mention next week, uh, it'd be a great week for everyone to be here. Next week what we're going to be doing is giving thanks for the year that has gone and looking ahead to next year uh, and some ministry plans uh, that, we have in, uh, that we're thinking about for next year. So we'll be doing that in the service next week uh, and also a great opportunity to think about how you can uh, partner in the gospel with us next year. So um, that's next Sunday, uh, just flagging that. <clears throat> uh, but as I said, a great passage. I'm just going to pray briefly and then we'll get into it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich made himself poor for our sakes, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing taking the form of a slave. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, for those of us who are not yet trusting in Jesus, please move our hearts to do that. For those of us who have come to know your grace and to be known by you, we thank you for that and we pray that you'll help us to live in the light of it, live faithfully as disciples of Christ. And we, help, uh, we pray that you might help us now as we reflect on this important part of your, your word to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we live in a culture of rights, right? Uh, not just important big human rights, uh, but a culture of kind of knowing and fighting for your rights in every part of life. Uh, when I go to the shops, went shopping yesterday, and I, I realised I, I, I feel I have a right to every option available. And I, so that's why I get affronted um, when something like toilet paper runs out. Or, <laughs> I feel I have a right to high-speed internet. So do you know you get that feeling? You get agitated if something takes five seconds too long to load? I have a right to express myself, a right to live out my own inner desires, to, to change and create my, my identity whenever and however I want that way of thinking about life and about myself and about the world uh, is some people, some writers have labelled it uh, something called expressive individualism, a bit of a mouthful but a helpful term. Uh, it, basically this idea that the road to freedom and happiness is to look inward and express what you find there, to be true to yourself, to follow your heart. I think we're all swept up in this in our culture. All of us, uh, just by being here, are swept up in this way of thinking and it shapes us in deep ways. Uh, I came across a quote this week that I think sort of captures this quite well. It should be on the screen. The quote says, Free is the person who lives as he wishes and cannot be coerced, impeded or compelled, whose impulses cannot be thwarted, who always gets what he desires and never has to experience what he would rather avoid. That's the free person. Now, it sounds sort of like it could be written today, I think. But what's interesting is that was actually written around the same time as the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians was written, 1 Corinthians. And in the same region, it was written by a Greek philosopher called Epictetus. 
I don't know if I've got that right. But that's interesting, isn't it? Very similar kind of way of thinking about ourselves and our freedoms. Well, we've seen through this letter that the, the Corinthians, uh, the church in Corinth that Paul's writing to, um, they were being more shaped by Corinth than by Christ. They were more shaped by Greece than the gospel. Um, and, and this area of rights and freedoms is one, I think, where the Corinthian Greek culture kind of overlaps a lot with ours, with our own. Uh, what we see in these chapters that we're looking at um, this term in 1 Corinthians, chapters 8 through to 10, is a stunningly different vision of freedom, of freedom. Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. If you're not a Christian, that's what Jesus holds out to you. A freedom that is so much stronger and deeper and more wonderful than anything that our world holds out to you. To put your faith in Jesus means you are washed clean. You are sanctified, made holy. You're set apart as special. You are made right. You're justified in God's sight once and for all. Christians are so free. And we saw this last week. We're even free from the slavery of living for ourselves. We're even free from that. <laughs> we are so secure in Christ as his freed people, as his slaves. We are so secure that we can forget ourselves. We can forget ourselves and we can happily give ourselves in service to God and to one another. Last week we saw the way in which that applies to the family of the church in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, the family of the church, to brothers and sisters in Christ, we are free to live in love, to give up our rights for the sake of one another, um, especially for the sake of a weaker brother or sister who might be put in spiritual danger if we kind of make use of our rights, if we take a stand on our rights. That was last week. Hopefully that's familiar if you were here. The passage in this week, though, Paul shifts a little bit. He shifts the focus uh, that this freedom isn't just for how Christians relate to one another. It's also about how we relate to everyone, to all people, including those who are outside of Christ. And Paul uses himself as, a great, as an example of this. Um, but as he's doing this, he doesn't want the Corinthians, he doesn't want us to think, well, that's okay for you, Paul, you're kind of super spiritual apostle. Um, over in chapter 11, verse 1, the end of this section, Paul writes this. He ends this section by saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So this isn't just one extraordinary person. This is the pattern of life set by our Lord himself and given to all of his people, including you and me. The key to this, I think the key to this pattern that we're seeing in these chapters, and this, this chapter particularly, is to see that Paul had something bigger to live for. He had something bigger than himself to live for. He wasn't hung up on his rights. He could freely give them up because he had a better vision. He had a bigger ambition that was driving him on. And he gives it to us in this passage, verse 12. He says, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. 
We put up with anything rather than get in the way, be a roadblock to the gospel of Jesus. Or verse 23 at the end of the passage, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. That word gospel, it just means good news, like a great announcement about this victory that fills you with joy when you hear it. Uh, that's, that's what the, the word means. Uh, later in the letter, in this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to go on and give this really nice summary of the gospel. He, he sort of, it can be put in different ways through the New Testament, but in chapter 15, he writes about the gospel that he received and that he passes on to the church as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he, he appeared to Peter and the other apostles, and he goes on. See, this is Paul's gospel. The account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, this news about Jesus, news about something that had been accomplished. It was according to the scriptures. It was the fulfillment of God's great saving purposes and plans that he'd been working out through human history, that had focused in on Abraham and his seed, his family, that we read of in the Old Testament scriptures. And did you notice he, uh, he also says this death was for our sins, for our sins, in our place. Sin is the great problem of the world. It leads to slavery now, it leads to death and judgment later, and the gospel is the incredible news that Jesus has made it possible for sin to be forgiven and healed and wiped out. The incredible news of his great victory over even death itself. The amazing announcement that he has taken the judgment that you deserve so you don't have to face it. This gospel had captured Paul's heart. It drove him on. It was, it was behind him driving him on. It was a light in the future drawing him on. He knew that it was good news for the world. It gave him something bigger to live for than his own comforts, his own rights. And that gospel going out into the world was the most important thing for Paul. Did you notice that as we read through? He'll put up with anything rather than get in the way of someone hearing this good news and being saved, being saved. So that's the big kind of thing driving Paul. And I think what you get is this first and second half of this section we're looking at is Paul kind of, uh, he uses himself as a bit of an example. The first half, he, he points to the way in which he had already, he's been relating to the Corinthians in the past. So Paul's past example, um, giving up his rights for the progress of the gospel. He focuses in on this fact in these verses that when he was with them, he didn't take any money from them when he, first, when he came to share the gospel with them. But did you notice he's at most of this section, actually, he's at pains to point out that he actually had the right to be financially supported by them. Uh, they owe their existence as a church to his efforts for them in Christ. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? 
Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. You are my seal of apostleship in the Lord. So he's got this special relationship with this church. And there was a natural right for him to be provided for by them. And he just goes on, he lays on reason after reason. We're not going to go in detail into all of them. We don't have time to do that. He starts with just this logical reason. In any work, the person involved rightly expects to be paid for the fruits of their work. So verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Unthinkable, right? Uh, Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Uh, It's not just kind of logic that shows this. It's, it, Paul says it's clear in the Old Testament law as well. Verse 8, do I say this on merely human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? Uh, and he used, it goes on to talk about this teaching from Deuteronomy about letting an ox, um, not muzzling the ox, so letting it eat the grain that fell as it was, wor- as it was working. Uh, it's not, and he says this, this isn't just about treating your animals well, that's important, but it's this pattern that actually carries over into the church, Paul's saying. And he goes on, verse 13, he talks about Jewish, the Jewish temple, where the, those who serve there are provided for by that service. And to cap it all off in verse 14, Paul says it's, it's actually Jesus' command that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Uh, so you, you might know the story in Matthew chapter 10, we looked at a little while ago. Jesus sends out his apostles to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near, and he tells them not to take anything extra with them, uh, but so that he, he expects them to be provided for because he has this line, the worker deserves his wages. So see what Paul's saying here. This is the normal right pattern commanded by the Lord that Christ's people give financially to support gospel workers. Uh, that's the pattern we followed as a church. Uh, and the generous financial giving of so many in our church to support this work has been so in deeply encouraging, and I think a sign of real gospel health. So that's the normal pattern. But you know, see what Paul does after making such a big deal about this? He kind of does a bit of a U-turn in verse 12, and he says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. But we did not use this right. And as you keep reading, you find out this isn't Paul being passive-aggressive, you know, kind of trying to actually get a little bit out of them to ask them to actually start supporting him. He says in verse 16, oh, sorry, verse 15, he really means it. Um, I've not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Verse 16, Paul says, he's compelled to preach, to share this good news He's not doing it to get paid. It's all about the gospel. Offering it free of charge is what counts most to him, what drives him on. Verse 18, that's that's his reward, to see the, the gospel offered to as many people as he can, free of charge. What's interesting is that Paul does take money from other churches. So you read about from the Philippian church, for example, Um, They supported him in his work so that he didn't have to um, uh, make tents to earn a living. 
So what's going on here? Why does Paul happily take financial support from one church and not another? Um, there was something in the context. Uh, there, there, I think there was something in the context in Corinth that Paul says it would have hindered the gospel. It would have been a hindrance to the gospel if he had taken money from this church. So there's something going on that means for Paul, he gave it up happily and easily because it would have been a hindrance to the gospel. It's possible that they couldn't afford to pay him anything. I think that's probably unlikely. I think there's probably actually something else going on. Uh, Corinth, we've seen this along the way, Corinth was a rich city and a status-obsessed city, a status-obsessed culture. They loved impressive speakers and teachers, and they would pay, they would happily pay to have the best ones come and share their great intellect and wisdom. And in trudges this unimpressive-looking Apostle Paul sharing this news about a crucified Lord that seemed to the people so foolish and weak. And he, I think Paul is really conscious that he doesn't want to buy into that whole system of worldly thinking and status. He wants to put himself as far as possible from those impressive speakers doing their speaking uh, routes through, through Greece. It would have clouded his message. The Corinthians were at risk, I think, of thinking that they were just paying for another philosopher to share his new ideas. Uh, and they were kind of like Paul's patrons who were paying him for a service that he provided to them, uh, which of course means that they would stop paying him if the service he provided to them wasn't something that they liked. I, I think that that's probably something of what's going on here for Paul in Corinth and why he can happily take financial support in one context and not another. But at the heart of it, what Paul is saying here is the gospel takes priority. The gospel takes priority. In the normal course of events, uh, usually it's better for the progress of the gospel for churches to pay their gospel workers. But if there's a situation where it's not better for a church to pay their gospel, the, the, the gospel worker, then for Paul, it's an absolute no-brainer. He'll keep preaching and he'll find other ways to support himself. And this is why Christians support organisations like CMS, uh, the Church Missionary Society. We pay so gospel workers like Mike and Karen Rowe or Francis Cook or Arthur and Tammy Davis, they can be freed up to do gospel ministry in places where it would be a hindrance to the gospel if the local church was expected to pay for them. That's the kind of principle that it would be a hindrance to the gospel if the local church was expected to pay for them. So we provide that money freely and happily to help that happen. And that's why our church was financially supported for the first six years from outside sources. Because the overriding concern is the gospel. The gospel going out and other gospel-hearted people and churches gave generous amounts to help our church get off the ground. So see what Paul's saying here. See what he's saying. Bring it back to the bigger picture of these chapters. You Corinthians are squabbling over whether you're entitled to eat meat from the temples. That's, what, that's, that's kind of what's going on. He said, you should be focused on the gospel, the thing that really counts. No, it's not about your entitlements, your rights. 
It's about the one who gave up his rights for you. And Paul's saying, that's the example I set for you when I came to you and shared the gospel with you in the first place. That's the first half. What he then goes on to say this next section is, that just wasn't just a one-off thing, it's actually my ongoing pattern of life, Paul says. This is the, the thing that just drives every day, uh, whenever he gets up. Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's an incredible thing for Paul to say. Uh, in, a, in a world where slavery was part of the economy and no free person wanted to become a slave and every slave wanted to become free. An incredible thing to say. But this is like the best image that Paul can draw on to show the kind of gospel-driven life that he is pursuing and he wants Christ's people to pursue. And what's, the, what's a slave have to do? They have to be flexible, right? They have to be flexible to, to match whatever their master, whatever culture their master comes from and the expectations their master has. And Paul says... I'm free. I'm not doing this out of compulsion because I'm fearing people or anything like that. I, 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 belong to, I don't belong to anyone except, of course, Christ, which is already said. I'm free, but I make myself a slave. Why? For the sake of the gospel, to win as many as possible, to see as many as he can, one to Jesus, to put their trust in him as their saviour and their king. So listen to this, just extraordinary words from verse 20. To the Jews, I became a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So he'll happily eat one thing in one context and not in another. doesn't matter to him. He says, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, that's a reference to last week in chapter 8 and all that's going on about the temples. He sums it up by saying, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul holds on to faithfulness to God's word and to Christ. He's Christ's slave. We saw it there. He is under Christ's law, which means that there are limits to what Paul will do. So he won't become a gossip to the gossipers. Okay. An adulterer to the adulterers. You know, this is, this, that's not what Paul's saying here. But alongside faithfulness to Jesus, and actually I've been thinking about it, actually it's not just alongside, it's actually because of faithfulness to the one who himself laid aside his rights for us. We're not just faithful to an abstract set of doctrines, we're faithful to a person. Because of his faithfulness to Jesus, he has this incredible flexibility, incredible flexibility. 
Uh, actually, if you could go to the next slide, that'd be good. Um, yeah, there we go. Faithfulness, yes, and flexibility. <laughs> there you go. Um, because, you see what's going on? Paul knows the gospel. He knows the gospel is about eternal realities. He knows that people need saving. People need saving. That's more and more uh, an offensive thing in our culture. But it's basic Christianity. It's basic to the gospel. We are already, from the moment we're born and we grow up and we live we are won over to all kinds of passions and desires and lords. But the gospel wins us to Jesus. And he's the Lord who brings freedom, who gives rest, who offers life to the full. We are lost. But through the gospel, God seeks us out and brings us home with joy. We are under the judgment of God for our sin. But through the gospel, the penalty is paid and we can live in forgiveness and new life. And Paul says, I don't care what I wear, what I eat, what I have to give up. I'll do whatever it takes for you to be saved, to be saved by this gospel. So he has this faithful flexibility. Uh, something like this. I've put a bit of a, a um, diagram together. There you go. Um, <clears throat> If you imagine there's a scale on each side, a scale of faithfulness and a scale of flexibility. Not really, though, because they're kind of uh, yes or no on either side. Anyway, see what you make of it. Um, top left, unfaithful to Christ, but very flexible. Okay, It's possible to live like this, for Christians to live like this, people who say they're Christians to live like this, to be shaped by the world that you so much that you end up just being a mirror of the world, saying exactly the same things never challenging, never taking a stand. That's not what's going on here. It's not what's going on here. Uh, uh, bottom right. Oh, wait. Uh, no, bottom left. Bottom left. Let's move down. Uh, that's unfaithful to Christ and inflexible. That's just a grouch, okay? So um, don't want to be there. Um, bottom right is better. It's faithful to God's word. But, you know, just kind of inflexible, unwilling to bend, insisting on doing things how you like them and how you've always done them. Um, this is the kind of church that preaches sound doctrine, but is just out of touch with the world around them and can have a kind of harsh and unwelcoming vibe. What Paul models himself and urges Christ's people to, to adopt is the top right, a faithful flexibility. Faithful within the boundaries of faithfulness of Christ, to bend over backwards, to see people brought from death to life, to see weaker brothers and sisters established firmly in him and not drawn away, a determination not to let anything get in the way of the gospel. Now that's not easy, and it's not neat. Uh, it means things adapt and change as you go on. And I think it would be really helpful to go to the CMS Summer Conference and get a taste for how missionaries all over the world are doing this. Maybe talk to Shane and Naomi for some, for some stories from them. I'm sure they could help us. It's not easy. It's not neat. 
But God wants us to live in wisdom and love. Wisdom and love. We're free in Christ, driven by the gospel. Uh, I've been trying to think this week how we, you know, how, some examples of how this might be put into practice. I think there's lots of ways. I think it, it has to shape how we think about ourselves as neighbours. We all kind of live in a neighbourhood. Um, some of us are kind of closer to our neighbours than others, but um, it's possible to be known as the neighbour who is inflexible and standing for their rights, you know? Wouldn't it be great for Christ's people to be those who love their neighbours, who have the gospel in mind as they relate to them, who are thinking, I don't want any, anything I say or do to get in the way of, at some point, this person coming to know Jesus. That's the kind of mindset. Um, I've also been wondering, and this is, this is a thought experiment, not sure. I, I know there's lots of different opinions about this. I've been wondering about tomorrow night, actually. It's sort of been looming. You know what tomorrow night is? Halloween? My, I don't like Halloween at all. I just think it's commercialised, it's American. Um, I'd be very happy for it to go away. And we're going to actually see in the next couple of weeks the deadly seriousness of actual demonic forces in this world and the importance of Christians having nothing to do with them. We, we will be driven by last week, remember, um, uh, listening to our conscience on these issues as well and the conscience of others. Um, so all of that kind of comes into play. But I've been wondering whether this chapter might say something as well, actually, to how, as, as Christians, we kind of relate to that. Um, yeah, lots of things to say there. Uh, insofar as it has its origins in All Hallows' Eve, the ancient Christian tradition, insofar as it's just kids dressing up and wandering around eating lots of lollies, I wonder, I just wonder, whether there's an opportunity to share something of the light of the gospel with a world in darkness. Now, conscience is going to be an important factor, as I said, and knowing your own weaknesses. But you see what, uh, what I'm trying to do here is actually just think about this. What, what Paul models for us is actually quite shocking, this, the flexibility that he has, the links he'll go to to see someone saved for Jesus. If we are free to flex as much as possible within the bounds of the law of Christ for the salvation of others. I think it's at least worth thinking about, but I'm aware that other people have made other decisions about that and thinking about it otherwise, which is fine. Happy to chat afterwards too. At the heart of it though, at the heart of it, this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue. Friends, do you really believe that the gospel is wonderful news? Wonderful news. And that without it, your friends and your family and your neighbours are lost and facing the terrible and just judgment of God. Do you really believe that people need saving and that Jesus can save them? That you're called to make yourself a slave for the gospel, to give up your comforts and rights 
so that on the last day you will have the joy of seeing others standing around God's throne with you. That's the heart of the issue. That was the light guiding everything Paul did. Like we saw last week, it's messy. We won't always get it right. But in Christ, that is our light too. Our light and the hope that we have for the whole world. So let's pray and ask God's help as we put these things into practice. Our Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Lord, he, he urges us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So we thank you most of all for what you have done for us in Jesus, for the links you went to bend over backwards to bring us home to you. Lord, give us wisdom, we pray, make us faithful to Christ, but also in, in faithfulness to him, make us flexible in ways that bring you honour and glory, in ways that seek to share your gospel with the world around us. We, we pray for your help to do that. Give us wisdom, uh, give us patience, give us thoughtfulness, and give us courage as we do that. Uh, fill our hearts, we pray, with the wonder of the gospel, and give us opportunities and help us to take those opportunities up when they come to share something of the light of Christ. And we pray that for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. After an incredible message about the good news... And the gospel, I guess the challenge is, are you assured in your faith? And do you believe this gospel message? In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, <coughs> you will be saved. Right now we've got a chance to confess with our lips what we actually believe as a church and as a family and, and each other. At the end of this... Uh, it says, um, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and there's an amen. I'm going to ask that we don't say the amen straight away, that I'm going to give you a chance and a, a time and a moment to reflect and to be with God and, and just think about what we've just confessed. Just a moment of silence, and then I'll say, um, and we all say, amen. So let's all stand and confess together. Heavenly Father, you have lust, loved us with everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turned away from them for the sake of your Son who died for us. Forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way, through Jesus Christ our Lord.